listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Welcome everyone to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Rachel. Thanks for joining us today. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Salty, where we're discussing how to stick out for the right reasons as Christians. This week, we heard a sermon about living simply and fighting materialism. In this podcast, Ryan sits down with Yancey Arrington and Aaron Lutz and asks them the question, is it a sin to be rich? Hope you guys enjoy this conversation. All right, guys, today we're going to talk about is it being rich a sin? All right, so that's the, the question on the table. But before we get to there, it's probably helpful for us to define what it means to be rich. I think yep. a lot of times um, people mean different things. Yep. And so, uh, yeah. So what do people mean when they say someone is rich? Yeah, I think it's funny because it's a subjective term, right? Like being rich is comparative to other people. And so my kids do not think that we're rich at all because they see other people and they see what other people have. But that's what we do with money and material things. We compare to what others have. So objectively, being rich is simply having a great deal of money, having a whole bunch of assets, right? And so uh, comparatively, depends on who you're comparing to if you're rich. Yeah, so do you think most people, let's see, in America or most people even in our area would identify as being rich? No, I, I think most people who are rich don't think they're rich. <laughs> and I There's think, always somebody richer. And I right? think that's because of the comparison deal. Yeah. So it, it's all contextual. You know, where you live, if yeah. you live in any one of these areas that we happen to live in or live around, it just depends on, you know, all oh, the people at this subdivision, they're rich because, you know, they got four pools that are community yeah. pools. We only have one. <clears throat> and the people that are living in an RV park lot, well, we don't, we don't even we don't even have like driveways and mailbox. You know, they're rich, and so and then the people that are homeless are like, no, no, no. If you got an RV, you know, you're rich, and so everyone's looking up above them, saying that's the rich person, and they're looking down behind them, saying they're the poor person, and they're saying we're just normal or we're poor, mm-hmm. and so it's it's just a moving target. But globally, right? You won't put it in that context, then it it <laughs> it's hard for. Most Americans, not all, but many Americans, it's hard for them, at least in this neck of the woods, to say that they're really poor. Although we do have some real poor people that are under-resourced here. But most of the people are on at least a global scale. They're in the top 1%. Yeah, yeah. And people have a a misperception about that as well. So there is a survey. I read an article on the Washington Post. They said that... um, when you surveyed all these groups of people, they put the, the median income globally at like $20,000 a year. Yeah. Like they're taking a guess. That's what they're taking a guess. Yeah. But like in all so actuality, it's like, yeah, in actuality, it's $2,100 a year globally is the median income. $2,100. dollars you're kidding me. So, you know, Americans' <laughs> perception of the world is... 10 times more than it is. And um, yeah. and, I, I, and, th- and that works both ways, right? We mm-hmm. get it because you can really guilt people out saying, see, you're really the rich person in the world. But the truth is, but I don't live in Calcutta. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't live in Kyrgyzstan, whatever that, I just made that up. I hope that's a real place. You pronounced that right. That was awesome. But um, I, I live here in yeah. the Houston Bay area and there's a, you know, th- those, those economics are different here. So I, you know, I want to be, I know we're not using that as a as a hammer or a sure. cudgel to, to to make people feel guilty because the truth is it really does matter where you live that you can make I mean you go move to California and you couldn't buy the home in California that you have here because of just the economy there. So it is relative and yet at the same time when you do pan out and look at it globally it it does put some perspective on it like your problems 
are not necessarily poor people problems, uh, potentially, potentially. Even comparatively in the nation. So I was running statistics like the U.S. Census Bureau 2019 average or median household income in 2019, 65000 But the household income at the same time in League City, $109,000. So when you Google that, the very next question on Google is, is League City, Texas rich? I mean, like the area that we live in comparatively nationally is a relatively wealthy area. So when we ask the question, what does it mean to be rich? Uh, a lot of people think that they're not, but living yep. where we live, most people comparatively are. Yeah, absolutely. So yep. our main question then is being rich a sin? No. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why do you say that? Is it you just saying that as someone who might be considered rich? In the I world definitely stage? would be considered rich. And yeah. so would you, and so yeah. would you. So we all would be, <clears throat> most of our listeners would be as well. Not all of them, but most of them. The reason I say no, I mean, there's, there's a multiplicity of roads we can walk down. I'll just, just a couple that, that come to mind is that when you look in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, you see wealthy believers. And so Abraham was a wealthy man. So the father of the faith in the Old Testament uh, it says in Genesis 13, 2, Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Well, all those were precious commodities. Two of those are still precious commodities. And frankly, in Texas, all three of them are <laughs> livestock, are, right? <clears throat> so he was a wealthy person. You go to Jacob. It says Jacob was rich. And it, it's not in this you know opulent, crazy-looking way. They just were people that had wealth. Uh, you go to the kings of Israel. You go to David. I mean, gosh, read about Solomon and all of his splendor, right? Even Jesus talks about Solomon and his splendor in Matthew. So Solomon had riches. Now, granted, they're kings, and you'd expect kings to have some kind of wealth to represent their people. But um, in the New Testament, you have people like Lydia. You have, um, she's a seller of purple. She's like her, she's like, you know, uh, a woman-made person. And it's not like a self-made man. She's a self-made woman. She's, she makes a lot of money, apparently. She has, uh, I think, <clears throat> the first house church in Europe is her house because it's so big, people can meet there. Um, there. There's all kinds of wealthy people in the Bible. Um, you know, Luke writes to Theophilus. He writes the book of Luke and Acts, and he probably writes it under the patronage of Theophilus because Theophilus has a lot of money. And mm -hmm. so Joseph of Arimathea, here's a guy that gives, he's got so much bank, he's already prepaid for his funeral and got his own tomb carved out. He's like, ah, I'll give that to Jesus. So um, that would be one of the reasons I would say it's not a sin to be rich because you have people who uh, that are no question devout followers of the one true God, both in Old and New Testament, that had money. Yeah, it's interesting. So I was thinking about this question. When I was in college, there probably was a season in my life where I would have said, yes, it is a sin to be rich, right? And I was in that immature, idealistic phase of trying to follow Jesus and be faithful to him. I read a book. I actually found it on my bookshelf today. Uh, I was texting with my roommates from college. I remember getting into this argument around the conversation of the rich young ruler, right? Jesus says, go and sell all of your possessions. I was so, reading $20 burritos at uh, <laughs> right? Freebirds. At Freebirds in College Station. <laughs> it's true. Sorry, uh, sorry. But we're having this conversation about like, what does that look like? like to really truly follow Jesus when he tells him to sell all his possessions. And so I had read uh, this book by Shane Claiborne, Ir The Irresistible Revolution. 
and Shane Claiborne is this radical guy. Yep. Goes and lives in Calcutta with Mother Teresa for a season. Yep. Goes to Iraq during the 2003 bombings. I mean, he moves back and he's trying to live with homeless people, live the simple life. And he basically makes this argument that to truly follow Jesus, you have to live simply. That it's to to rid yourself of materialism and nationalism and all these things. You have to sell everything in the way that the rich young ruler, you know, in the conversation with Jesus. And so there was a time in my life where I felt like, man, that's what it looks like. And I, when I graduated college, I want to push back against kind of my suburban upbringing and uh, be radical and get rid of all of my stuff and follow Jesus. So to be rich was to be a sin. I remember that season for me in college. Do you have a similar experience? Yeah, absolutely. That? I think, you know, we talked about that. I don't know if it's a millennial thing or something. Yeah. So, I mean, I read that same book. The book that was probably the most hard hitting for me is a guy, his name is Ronald Sider. He wrote a book yeah. called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a pretty like long, thick book. And he gets into all kinds of different stuff and economics. And it was it was really convicting for me, you know, growing up in a more uh, affluent, you know, suburban context. Um, and I would say overall, I look back on that and I think, okay, maybe I probably took that too far in right. some ways, but I would say it was formative for me. It really did shape um, what giving looks like and generosity. Uh, I mean, I read it early on in my, my working career, you know, when I was starting to get my first like adult paychecks, mm-hmm. you know, it shaped how I laid the foundation for how I was going to start to give. It made it much easier as I got older and older and versus, you know, starting out not giving at all and then having to make some sort of transitions. And, um, but yeah, I had this like angsty young person, like, man, it's, it's a sin to, to be rich. It's a mm-hmm. sin to have nice things. It's, it's, right. a, it's a sin to enjoy the, the things that, you know, other people are enjoying. Like, you know, I just want to go live in a, in a mud hut somewhere, you know, in a, you know, sackcloth or whatever he right. wore around all the time and have dreadlocks. You know, you got to have dreadlocks if you're going <laughs> to wow. follow Jesus. Wow. You know? Yancey didn't have that. He's in a different generation. Yeah, I definitely didn't have that. No, we we are we knew we were already poor. We didn't want to stay poor. We were trying to get out of that. That's why I was in college and did those other things. But uh, no, I, I do think I've read Ron Sider before, not that book. I read Scandal of the Evangelical Mind or something to that effect where he just talks about how the church is, you know, when, when it, when it, when it, revels in its opulence <clears throat> or materialism, and it's not generous. When it looks essentially just like the world, it's mm-hmm. lost its missional power. And I agree with that. And I do think there, there is a, dis, you know, there's a middle road that's between the gospel of, you know, wealth and the gospel of scarcity. And, um, but there's a, there's a little truth in both of them. Like, it's not bad to have wealth. <clears throat> you have to be careful. We can talk about that. And and it, and we should live simply. I don't know if scarcity is always the aim, but we should live simply in a way. So it's all about stewardship. But I, even for me, I mean, there's, you know, every few years I start to think: Is this? Am I living as a suburbanite? Because that's what I am. Am I living for Jesus in the way as a suburbanite that I actually glorifies Him? Uh, I'm maximizing that. Or am I? Am I? Have I fallen asleep? Have I developed blind spots in my own lifestyle? simply because I'm around everyone else and it's just the water I'm swimming in. So I think uh, that that it's good to go back to have those conversations. I mean, it's good to pick up Shane Claiborne, yep. Ron Snyder, and just to go, is my heart, heart right here? Because I think the older I've gotten, I'd like to think the better my theological and biblical worldview's gotten to where I'm 
I mean, I, I want to enjoy the things that God gives me to enjoy, but I have to steward them in right ways. So, and we can delve into that later. It's, it's the pendulum swing, right? <clears throat> so I grew up in a time where there was the prosperity gospel coming of yeah. age. And so there's guys out there trying to push back against that. And so they almost swing the pendulum too far to the scarcity gospel or the, the poverty gospel. Uh, and that might, not, that might not be healthy. Like both of those are dangerous, um, you know, ditches on the side of the road. And so going back to that conversation in college, like I remember talking about the rich young ruler, uh, making one statement that made my very wealthy roommate feel very bad, right? And made him feel like his parents weren't Christians because they drove nice cars. And that was really immature. But then coming back to that, that same story later and realizing what Jesus is trying to accomplish when he's talking to the rich young ruler, right? So we won't do a whole Bible study on this, but the guy comes and asks Jesus, like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He thinks it's about his actions. Jesus walks him through some 10 commandment conversations, right? So what about these commandments? What about these? And Jesus says, what, uh, if you want to be perfect, which is really complete, if you want to be complete, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus is inviting him to come follow him, but it's all around a conversation of the 10 commandments. This isn't about everyone must go sell all the possessions and be poverty, be in poverty, uh, what he's saying is the first and greatest commandment is have no other God before me. And your God before you, rich young ruler, is your possessions. And that's the thing that's uh, preventing you from really coming and following me. And so I remember, I remember going and repenting and, and asking for forgiveness of my roommates. Like, guys, I missed this. Like mm-hmm. in my immaturity, uh, I made a statement that's not accurate. Jesus wants us to follow him. And there, there's possessions in our way. Then he's asking us to get rid of those. But that's not a blanket statement to every rich person, right? right. So there you go. Yeah. I think, you know, earlier on we joked about how it's hard to, it feels like it's hard to answer this question as someone who might be considered rich themselves. Like, sure. is yeah. it a sin? It it is is of course we're going to say, no, it's not a sin. But that's why I think it's important that as both you guys have demonstrated, we don't, the authority to give that answer doesn't come from us. It's from scripture. So we, we can point to all these passages where, uh, yeah, there is a wealthy person that is mentioned, or there are warnings towards wealthy people and to, to really dig down deeper. What's, what's going on underneath the surface there is what's being confronted in there. It, is it the fact that they are wealthy or they are rich or is there something else in there? Yeah. I, I, I treat in one way, wealth is like alcohol. Or, or at least how wine's viewed in the Bible. You know, it, it's, it's a thing that God gives us that can bless us, but it can ruin us right. if we don't steward it well. I mean, and so, and again, I know some people are teetotalers and don't want to drink any alcohol. I get it. No one's a teetotaler when it comes to money. So they, they, people like to have money, like to use money, and I get it. But when I look at it, I mean, just, just on my little notes here, just some scriptures that, I, that, that came to mind, just about the positive part of what wealth is, is just, if you look at the Proverbs, which books uh, is the book about wisdom, Proverbs 14, 24, the crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. So, I mean, like there's, there's something noble about someone who um, has worked in such a way where they've garnished or they've garnered enough wealth that they can, you know, live off of Proverbs ten fifteen. a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. So it's like, you know, he can take care of himself. He's got enough wealth to, to, um, uh, to establish himself. It's, uh, there's strength in that. And that's not the ultimate strength, but there's like, you know, something ha- bad happens. I have finances to help me through those times. I know that we talk about with some of our financial ministries about having a budget and having savings. I mean, that's just what wisdom brings. Uh, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And so you have this, 
this contrast between abundance and poverty and the, 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 the needle that moves you from poverty to abundance is living diligently, working hard, right? Now, that, that, that kind of goes alongside with kind of the American ethic, work hard and things come well to you. But there's a wisdom to that, that the Bible's like, you know, we're, it's going to acknowledge the truth of the situation. And so I think sometimes everyone has like their one or two Bible verses that talk about like, you know, money's the root of all kinds of evil, and it's bad for you, but that's not actually what the text says about like money's just bad in general. Um, that wealth can be a good thing if, if stewarded well and used properly. But just wanted to mention a few passages where the Bible talks about like wealth and, and a good thing. But you know, the same book of Proverbs also says the warnings for it, right? Okay. So Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Uh, and this will be my only proverb dump here. But <clears throat> mm-hmm. whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So now we've got a context where. Someone's finding their identity, security, their worth, their value, whatever. They've wrapped someone like the rich young ruler, man. They've they've wrapped some God stuff into their wealth and it's gonna be their ruin, you know. So it it's it's it is kind of to me somewhat like wine. It's a good gift that God gives, but you have to steward it well or it can ruin you. But hmm. it's still good. Yeah, it's interesting. The Bible talks so much about money, a lot more than <clears throat> it talks about wine, right? Because so yep. it's it's our, it's our greatest idol. It's the thing that gets in the way most often of us following Jesus. And so is it a sin to be rich? The quick answer we said at the beginning is no. But man, there's a lot of dangers when it comes to it too. So yes, there is positivity of the way that God wants to use money to, to fund mission, to be generous, to teach us things. But there's a lot of dangerous uh, things when it comes to money too. So Yancey referenced 1 Timothy 6, the, the root of, uh, of all evil mm-hmm. is not money, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so it's the same way the Yancey talked about with wine. It's a matter of the heart. It's yeah. not the material in and of itself. It's the motivation behind why we're pursuing those things. So that passage starts in verse nine with those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Yes. And then it says, for the love of all money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the craving uh, that some have wandered away. It's this craving and desire that's the dangerous part of being rich. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And it even goes on in that first Timothy uh, six passage, you know, he, he, in verse 17, it says, as for the rich in this present age, and you're like, all right, so now he's going to give it to them. He just says, charge them not to be haughty, right? Or prideful or arrogant, right? Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so yeah. there isn't this like ad- admonition against being rich. Like you better give up everything right now. Um, and to be a follower of Jesus, um, which, you know, I mean, we mm-hmm. could talk about that for the rich young ruler, but really it's this charge to uh, be humble and to not set your hopes on those uncertainty mm-hmm. of all those gains, but your your hope and your enjoyment is ultimately in, in God himself. And God calls us to great joy. He's like, so that you can enjoy these things, right? It's not mm-hmm. like God's this kill joy. It's like, give everything away. I want you to be impoverished and scarce and have no fun and joy in, the, in, in your life. But God's like, I want you to enjoy life, the things that I've given you, but be rich in good works, not just rich in, in wealth and assets. That's the hard part to me of where we live. And in the city we live in, uh, that has a reputation, at least for some of the preaching and preachers in it, where there is this kind of health wealth gospel, where there's this um, conflation, if you will, between what the gospel is and what the American dream is. And then yeah. surely God is here to make me wealthy and healthy and wise. And, and uh, being unhealthy or being sick and having, you know, maybe even a mediocre income level, that's a, that's a sign of God's disfavor in my life or displeasure. I mean, I, 
because of that, we have it. We're we hesitant to even talk about money sometimes because we don't want people thinking, speaking of that salty and cringe factor, like I'm not one of those Christians. Like I'm not a Christian that's really about your bank account and really thinking about wealth as a sign of God's favor. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have wealth, you're you're out of His favor. Like, but at the same time, I, I you know I, I don't want to feel like I've got a scarcity mindset. Like I'm actually holier when I don't have anything because both of those are kind of works righteousness. That's not a gospel way. So what I how I try to think of it is. Um, it's it's not actually having wealth that's the problem, it's it's what you do with it and what what you allow it to do to you. Mm-hmm. What is what is what do you do with your wealth? And and then on the second hand, it's like what what do you let it do to you? And I, I think far too often that's the danger is what 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 wealth can do to us. This, these are kind of the admonitions that we see in Scripture. And one of the reasons why I think Jesus has such a uh, you know, when you talk about the rich young ruler, when he says it's harder for a rich man to go into heaven than, I mean, it's as hard as for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven because of what wealth can do to us. Because mm-hmm. we want to make it our functional savior. We don't want to, we don't want to, you know, when you're wealthy, you don't have to listen to anybody per se. You make your own shots. When you're poor, you're dependent on everybody. Mm-hmm. That's why you see the poor flock to Jesus and the rich people kind of want to stay on the side. And you look at what Jesus says to rich people. I mean, he has more pointed words to them, the, 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 the book of James, um, because when you're wealthy, you can shift the power structure and you can, you, you can uh, oppress people when you're wealthy mm-hmm. and the people still do that today. And when you read the book of James, it's like, hey, you rich, you need to, woe to you, weep because your riches are going to burn and you're going to burn with them. And it's like, wow, why would he say all that? I thought Christians could be rich, but he, he's warning against what riches do to the heart when we make the, we make the coin um, really our, our new God. So uh, you want to just try to thread, you know, not to use the, the word needle twice again, but, you know, you, you do want to you play the middle of the fairway saying, I, I don't want a gospel of scarcity and poverty, nor one of riches and really health and wealth, all that other stuff. I, I just want to, you know, God does call us to enjoy life in a way that honors Him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's I mean, when you look at what God does, He does things that are just, He flourishes in it. I mean, the great banquets, what we're calling like His return, and the wine that overflows, and food for ages, and, um, you know, this is the rich young, excuse me, it's the, um, it's the, the, the prodigal son when he comes home, and yeah. his dad's like, kill the fatted calf, like, kill the most expensive, yeah, let's give him a ring, put yeah. a robe on his finger, like, let's, let's spend a little money on this kid, because we're here to celebrate. So... Just trying to use that stuff in the right way. So it's always a good heart check. These conversations are always good because um, I know we joke or I joke saying, hey, can a rich person be a Christian? Yeah, they can. Is it a sin for a rich person to be a Christian to be rich? No, it's not. But there's really a nuanced answer to that. Absolutely. And I think one of those things, and you pointed out in James 5, is, is how people, how a rich person can treat other people, you know, oh, their heart towards other people. So, I mean, that's what James 5 is really addressing is like, yeah, woe to you all, you know, rich people and all these different things. This is what's going to come upon you. And what he's addressing in them is here's how you've oppressed the workers. Here's how yes. you've withheld their wages from them. So, I mean, you've you've kind of, you know, used your power to oppress other people and um, commit injustice, which is breaking, you know, breaking God's heart for, for other people. So Which happens today. Oh, sure. absolutely. I mean, you, you look at the people who are oppressed today, especially in our nation, and uh, it doesn't matter what party you're a part of politically. Like everyone realizes it's the political powers to, that, that are and the money brokers that really get to decide the rules for so much of this stuff. And it's, 
the church just can't operate like that. That's really what he gets all upset about. It's like, yeah. man, you're just oppressing the poor. You're, you're, you know, and I think in James, it's like you're bringing them before the courts because you can, you can get out of them what you want. And it's just a warning to all of us who have any modicum of wealth that, that we use that to lord it over people, which is the opposite of what Jesus would do. And, that, and that's one of the reasons I think why Jesus says in Matthew 6, he's like, you can't serve two masters, man. It's, you can't serve God and you can't serve the old school word ma- mammon. You can't serve God and money because uh, both of them are vying for the same thing. They yeah. both vie for your heart if you're, you know. That's what I was going to say. That, that's in Jesus' kingdom manifesto where he's, yeah. he's all about the heart. This yeah. isn't a law thing. This yeah. isn't like a, a rule of, of all rules. Jesus is saying it's about your heart. And so when he's talking about in that Matthew 6 passage, uh, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on yeah. earth. On earth, moth and rust destroy. People, yeah. you know, people come in and steal. But invest in the things that are eternal. So, so what is going to matter in eternity? Like what are the stories we're going to be talking about in heaven? That's what we should invest in. And so when Jesus says like where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We talk about this a lot around here. Our, our hearts follow our investments, right? Like where you invest your resources, time and money, those are the things you love. It's not that you spend money on the things that you love. You love the things you spend money on. And so, man, if we, if we love people, if we desire them to be in heaven, if we value relationships, we value joy and peace and, and gospel, like that's the stuff that matters mm-hmm. into eternity. That's the things that we're investing our resources in. And so it's the heart. If, if, if my heart is to pursue greater wealth for my own enjoyment, that's a dangerous place to be. And Jesus would caution you. But if, if the heart behind um, being wise with money, stewarding God's money is to further the mission, to invest in things that are going to matter in eternity, that still looks good. Like yeah. Jesus would, would applaud that, not caution that. All right, so here's a personal question for you. We've been in this series, Salty, and uh-huh. both of you guys preach this week on materialism, yeah. and you both preach on this passage, Matthew 6, right? So as you read through that passage, it's one of those ones, you know, we, we know it so well. We've heard it a lot. We've preached on it probably multiple times. So as you've been studying that this week, what's been something bubbling up in you? What's something that you're trying to apply in that? What's been convicting to you or challenging to you as you look at that? anew as mm-hmm. as you're preaching this passage. Well, before we answer it, I'd be curious to know what, what when you when you do a cursory flyby of Matthew six, what pops out to you before we answer it like because mm-hmm. we've studied this this whole thing. <laughs> I know you, you guys have been preaching this week. You talk about the, you're talking about the, the whole Sermon on the Mount, what stands out? Or are you talking about this passage in particular? This passage in particular. Um, I think for me what stands out is the uh, is the investment strategy I guess mm-hmm. that Jesus is talking about so um, w- you know where where you're ultimately investing whether it's the kingdom or in in this life and just thinking about how I'm spending my money do I see it as a kingdom investment in some way and um, you know I I don't know just trying to discern in my own heart is am I Am I being faithful in in and how I'm interpreting interpreting my own spending, or am I sort of twisting that sort of you know enjoy the comforts of that? So uh, I can give you an example of um, yeah yeah. Let me let me you know if I'm going to go on a vacation with my yeah. with my kids and my family, right? So in some ways, I would say that that is an opportunity to build memories with my my kids and disciple them. And so uh, I would think yes, I'm I'm um, investing in in the kingdom of heaven because I'm investing in them and their hearts and mm-hmm. family time together. But at the same time, I mean, we're probably going to go and do something fun and maybe go to a different place if we can. And, um, you know, so it, am I enjoying some, some of the temporal luxuries, you know, and is that okay? And so, um, 
it's that hard check. You know, it's a, it's a hard check, you know, yeah. and and it's it's all centered on the gospel. So it's yeah. you know, it's this isn't about like oh Jesus is just waiting for me to be like oh you know, right. you know y'all went out to dinner and you you know you didn't <laughs> thank me for that steak the way you should have you know, so. I don't, I don't know if that answers your it question. It does. Yeah, I just wanted you to engage the text because I know I've, I've been looking at it the whole yeah, time, yeah. preparing for this week. And I was trying to put you on the spot. Since no, you were I know. And I was like, gosh, I I right you may have to read the you. text for me again because it's been <laughs> I've been away for it for you know twenty four hours. And, and no, I, I I think what stands out to me about that text, you know, for where your heart is, there your treasure. For where your treasures, there your heart will be also. And don't store it for yourself, treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven, where moth and rust does not destroy. <clears throat> I think. The way I've seen that is just just live a life that's investing in God's kingdom, right? And wherever you can use your finances, and really not just finances, anything, your time, your talents, your treasures, the space that you have, when you can invest in kingdom endeavors, that's what's going to last forever. Don't don't think that, you know, you can just max out your car, card on worldly pleasures, and that's all it's going to be, because when it's over, it's over. And But when you're investing in kingdom endeavors, it's not. And I, and I, I think Aaron's right about how... You know, you can invest in things, and there your treasure will be. I do think it reverses as well. I do think um, our our hearts are what our hearts are where the things we treasure. So if he treasures, if Aaron treasures Texas A and M, he's going to spend money on Texas A and M, right? So oh, season tickets are four grand. All right, I don't have season tickets. He's he's, he's going <laughs> to. I'm going to call you out. I'm on, going to on one camera. game this year. Yeah, but I don't he's going to go. Front we'll row, do Astros. Tickets. We'll do something. <laughs> yeah, Fifty yard line. So he's going to. You know, he's going to. He's going to pay for that. And he's not going to think twice about it, or he's going to find someone who's paid for it, and <laughs> and uh, kind of like with me with the Astros or yeah, Bale or say, something you're else. But getting tickets over <laughs> here—that's exactly right. I ain't got my Astros socks on right now. <laughs> the point is, people spend all kinds of outrageous money on things like sports, but you know why? Because that's where their heart is. Yeah. They like those things, and I'm not even dogging it. Uh, people spend outrageous amounts of money on club sports. Your kid has to have a name on the back of his jersey, though he's four, right? And, and it's going to cost you all this. Why? Because you love it. You, you just throw money at it because you love it, right? And so people have all kinds of hobbies that they love. They throw money at it because that's where their heart is. And all Jesus is trying to say is, I would hope that the totality of your heart with all these other loves ultimately is on things of the kingdom. Because if your heart's there, right, that's where you're going to store up your treasures. That's, that's another way I think about that. Because I do think, I, I think we tend to give to things that we love or... Um, you know, one of these days, you're going to pay for your kids, most likely, to go to college because you love your kid, right? Yeah. You're going to make your kid work the whole way, I know, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you would. We, we do those things. We spend money on our children, and we don't think of it. I mean, we do think of it, but we spend money on our kids that we wouldn't spend on any other place because we love our children. Yeah. That's what I think Jesus is getting at. He's like, listen, just make sure that that's not all you're doing. And if I've given you this much, take it as the treasure that it is and use it Use it in a way that honors me. And I do think at times it's eating the big fat steak that you probably wouldn't pay that much for in the past, but you're going to do it today because you're going to celebrate, right? Because your kid went to college and he got a full scholarship and it's at A&M yeah. and it's all that oh, you're awesome. going to celebrate. Yeah, it's trying to hype you up. Of course, yours would go to UT. Yeah. I was going to say, if they go to Sorry. A&M and it's a full scholarship, <laughs> we will celebrate. Yeah, where your treasure is, there your heart will be yes. also. You'll be yeah. an Aggie with me. There yeah. you go. Put yeah. your little bumper sticker on yeah. there and you'll Whoever go will pay for it. Yeah, we'll that, that's what stands out to me. Yeah. Sorry to go back into what you were going to do with your kids, but that's, I just want to make sure that I'm invested enough in kingdom purposes that, that my heart gravitates toward that. I, really what I want to do is I want to fall more in love with Jesus and the work of the gospel. So I'll give to Jesus and the work of the gospel. I want to fall more in love with the church. I want to fall more in love with this ministry of redemption. 
And the more that I'm amazed and blown away by Jesus, the more I want to give to the things about Jesus. That's why I think what he says is that your, where your treasure is there, your heart will be. Well, I want to make my heart centered on the gospel. And funny how I want to throw money at stuff like that. I ain't throwing money. I'm investing in money God's already given to me. And um, so that's how I think about it. Yeah. Um, just asking what stood out to me. I, I tell you, sometimes the art of preaching is the stuff that doesn't make into the sermon, yeah. but it, it's, it's working on your own heart so you can preach with integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that's the passage that follows this passage about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting. Verse 25 in chapter six, G- Jesus says, therefore, so like whatever he's about to say is completely connected to this whole conversation about money. <clears throat> he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor your body or what you'll put on. So for me, my temptation with money isn't stockpiling, saving. It's it's a concern for, um, I I get anxious about money. I worry about money, right? And safety and security. And are we going to have enough for the future and all those kind of things? But Jesus finishes the section with seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Like God will provide. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow. Be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So this isn't just a passage about, anxiety. This is a passage about anxiety typically tied to money and the ways that we worry and about trusting in the Lord. Um, so that's what God's been working on my own heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to preach any of that, but it's connected to that for me to be able to go <laughs> preach with integrity. You know, I think that's good. I think that's super good. Uh, do you ever find yourself with those same? I, I, I identify, I find myself with some of the same anxieties where I'm, my security is tied into kind of like my bank account. Do I have enough? And, and there's wisdom. We've seen the scriptures that says, hey, you know, you, you store things up for, for lean times. The problem is when my heart gets wrapped up more into trusting in what kind of bank account I have, like the savings I have, when the hard times come, instead of trusting in the Lord, because it only takes one one event to wipe that stuff out. But mm-hmm. so I, I feel the yeah. same kind of anxiety. Do you ever feel that as well? Oh yeah. So I feel like I'm I'm known as being somewhat frugal. <laughs> I didn't want to say I, anything. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that it probably comes from a place of. Um, yeah, it's it's delayed gratification in some way, and, and that gratification is just the security and the comfort of knowing that you have something there. So I mean, it's like I have no problem being like, yeah, I don't need to have this nice thing because I'd rather have, you know, more stashed away. And it reveals that part of my heart where it's like, am I really trusting in God in that? Yeah. And so um, while it might, I might maybe convince myself that it's the more spiritual thing to do that I like, go, oh, I'm doing this because you know I'm trying to be wise and godly. But really, it's there's. If I'm honest, there's there's this, you know, part of my heart that is not fully trusting God that He's going to provide, and I'm trying to take it into my own hands. All right, think about so. this. I'll put you on the spot again because this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> so recently, you bought a brand new truck. I did. A big, beautiful <laughs> truck. Trail boss. Trail trail boss. Even. I yeah. mean, so. So tell, walk me through like how you talked your how you talked to yourself about doing that, um, because to me that's that's typical of what the kind of stuff Christians have to face. Because I think we have to think through those kinds of things. And I think you know, and you think through it well. Yeah, and I thought yeah. you know I, I would help people to hear like how does someone? No one would have a problem with it. Most no one would have a problem with it. But still, for a follower of Jesus, even more so a pastor, because we have to be careful right. about how people see us, right? So it's why that's why I don't drive a Mercedes Benz. Luxury class because you didn't know what to call it. I didn't know what to call it. Just making something those, up yeah. like S class, uh, the, the Z van, whatever yeah. that you want. So my kids <laughs> yeah, tell get me one so. of those big vans. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you go live but that. but again, you know, you, you made a big purchase and <laughs> yeah. you know walk through all that. So tell me how you know what are the 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 kind of traps you're running to go. Oh, I have a good conscience. I can do this. 
I mean, part of it was, I mean, I drove an, an older car for a long period of time. And so we were able to save up some money because of that. I mean, by the time that I uh, got rid of it, it was 20 years old. And so, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I didn't have it for 20 years. I had it for eight or so. And so it was just, it was an older car. And then just thinking about reliability and thinking about what, what would be a, uh, a good financial decision. I, I did want a pickup truck because I felt like it would be useful. And I, it's the first pickup truck I've had, and it is incredibly useful. I put stuff in the back all the time. I, I saw I saw you taking stuff the other this weekend. Yeah, I never thought I would use it as much as I do, and I do. So it's helpful to have that. And then just thinking about in Texas, getting a, <clears throat> a used truck, I mean, is is they're expensive. I mean, well, even people, now, for sure. Oh, for now, for yeah. sure. But I mean, it's, you know, people, the, the resale value is pretty high. And so mm-hmm. I started looking at the difference between new and used and, um, my grandfather, he worked for GM a long time ago. And so, you know, there's an employee pricing that my family was able to get. And so I was able to, you know, run all the spreadsheets. And if I determine that if I, if I really do drive this thing for a while, it would be a good use just to have. So I, I joke that I'm going to be moving my now seventh, seven-year-old into and hopefully out of college one day <laughs> with this truck. So here, here's even why I have you tell the story for the people listening or watching is because as a follower of Jesus, you at least thought about, with integrity, working through, like, do I need to do this? And not just on the numbers, but like, is this something that would, would, would and the ultimately, would this glorify God? And, and it can glorify God and be fun. Mm-hmm. It can be like, oh, I really want this truck, too, and it's cool, and it does all these things. And yet, just the fact that you, you asked yourself these questions, to me, is really, you're just trying to be discerning about it. And that, that's, that's how I think God wants us to treat everything, not our trucks or whatever, only our trucks, but all these things. Like, is this a good investment of our money? And is this something we need to do? And sometimes it can just be for pleasure, right? I don't, there's no, Jesus wasn't a killjoy. And yet at the same time, it, you know, would it be better not to do this for do something else? The fact that you just walk through a process to me is, that's the value of the story is like, wow, that's what Christians should do. Well, in community too, like as your friend, like Ryan processed this conversation for a long, <laughs> a long time. time. Yeah, and we talked about us a if long it was time. wise, right? And so it wasn't a, a thing he made on his own. And one of the things we say around here a lot is that money's personal, but it's not private. So as a follower of Jesus, we have conversations about money often because it's a spiritual thing. And yeah. so it was for him. Yeah. And I appreciated the way you really did think through all that. Really, really I don't well. like how you rub it in that you have a nice car. I just like to ride in it. You're going around. Auto so start. Cool. Yeah. Auto start. Cowboy hat. Yellow. <laughs> Stone sticker on the back. I do have. I did get a cowboy hat though. I, don't, I, yeah, I sometimes wear it. I know how you want to talk more about that. But yeah, we'll do that All right. So I think we got it. So thank you guys for talking about another uh, another tough question. Yeah. Is it being rich a sin? We said no, but obviously there's a lot of dangers around it. So thanks for engaging in that and talking about the scriptures together. Yeah. Thanks Absolutely. for the time. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org, where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us today.